All right, now this morning we are ending our series called Detour. And in this series, what we're doing is we're trying to figure out what we should do when we're trucking along in life and everything seems to be going well. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves on a detour. It could be a financial detour. It could be a medical detour. It could be a relationship detour. I mean, there's all kinds of detours that we face in life and we're just trucking along in life and everything feels great. And all of a sudden, we end up on a road that feels very unfamiliar and we're really not sure what to do. And so we've been trying to learn in this series things that we should do and things that we should not do Because one of the things that we've learned is our response to our detours often determines how long our detours are. And if we have a bad response, if we get bitter, if we get too angry, then we can actually make our detours a whole lot longer than they need to be. And I I can give personal testimony to that in my life, and I'm sure a few of you can give testimony to that as well. Now, as we walk through this series, we're trying to learn from an ancient group of people called the Israelites that lived about 3,500 years ago. And the Israelites still live today, but we're looking at their journey when they were beginning as a nation. And if you don't know their story, let me just give you the quick summary of that. So about 4,000 years ago, they moved down to Egypt from modern-day Israel area, and they moved there to escape a famine. So when they moved there, there were 70 of them, and then they grew to about 2 million. So uh, there was a lot of growth going on there, and that caught the attention of the pharaoh of Egypt. And he was concerned that they were going to overthrow their nation, put their nation into slavery, and so they decided to put them into slavery. And it was horrible slavery for them for 400 years. They cried out to God for help. God responded, sent a man named Moses to help free them from that slavery. And I'm condensing this huge story into a really short uh, snidbit. You can read about it in Exodus. It's an amazing story of how God works through all this. So they get freed from slavery and they're headed towards the promised land. But before they go to the promised land, God takes them on a detour through the desert. Because there were some things that needed to change in how they thought and how they felt and how they behaved, how they treated each other, how they treated other people, how they represented God to the world. See, they had lived as a slave nation for 400 years. And God said, listen, I don't want you living at, at, with that mentality in the promised land. So I got to change how you think, how you feel, and how you behave. And he did that on a detour. And here's some of the things that we have learned together so far in this series. First thing that we've learned as uh, we were starting this, we saw that God was aware of the Israelites and their pain, and God cared about their pain, and God rescued them from their pain. So the application for us is God is aware of our pain. So whatever you're going through, whenever you're going through something that's difficult, that's challenging, God knows about it. He's aware. And not only is he aware, he cares. He cares very much about that, and God promises to rescue us. We may not like the rescue. We may not like how he shows up. We may not like who he uses as he shows up to rescue us, but God promises to rescue us. And we got to remember that his rescue just might involve a detour off of the path that we want to be on onto another path where God can teach us some things that prepare us for the life that he desires for us to live. Another thing that we've learned in this series is we have to allow our detours to make us better, not bitter. That's a real temptation for many of us. When we get on a detour, especially when we get on that detour a little too long, we are often tempted to get bitter 
and frustrated and angry that we're on this detour. And then when we do that, we miss out on the better things that God has for us. So we got to be careful that we don't get bitter. Another thing that we've learned is that God can turn useless things into useful things. We saw that in the story where the Israelites got to an oasis. They're walking through the desert. They don't have water for three days. They get to an oasis. They're excited that they have water. They find out the water is bad. And uh, what God points out to them, he points out to Moses, is a stick. And Moses takes that stick, that useless stick. He throws it in the water, and the water becomes good to drink. And so there are moments in our lives we see something like a stick and we think that's useless. Like how could God ever use that thing? And yet that might be the thing that God wants to use in a useful way for us to provide something that we really need. And so we gotta be careful not to overlook what we think are useless things. Another thing that we learned last week is that rebelling against God can lead to painful consequences. We watched that with the Israelites when Moses was up on Mount Sinai with God and God was giving him the 10 commandments and giving him instructions for how the Israelites should live as his chosen people. And the Israelites were waiting for 40 days and they got tired of waiting. They waited so long. They said to Aaron, which was Moses's brother, they said, like, we don't even know where Moses is anymore. He's been gone so long. So why don't you make us some gods that we can bow down and worship? So Aaron made them a golden cow, and they bowed down to worship that cow. And if you read that part of the Bible, you might be like me sometimes and read it and go like, that is the silliest thing ever, until I have to admit, there are moments I do that. There are moments I get tired of waiting for God to work, and so I think I can solve it better, or I can jump in and do something better than God can, and I can be tempted, we can be tempted to worship things That'll lead us away from God. We can worship money. We can worship power. We can worship position. We can worship fashion. We can worship knowledge. We can worship skepticism. We can worship all kinds of things when we get tired of waiting for God to work. So we got to be careful of that because rebelling against God in those moments when we're on detours can lead to some painful consequences and a lot of hard work of rebuilding the things that we have damaged. Okay. Now, this morning, we are at an exciting place with the Israelites. Uh, We're at the end of their detour. So God brings them to the end of their detour, and they can see the promised land ahead. So they're excited, and I want you to be excited. So tell the person next to you, I'm excited to be here today. That's awesome. Now, tell the person that just said that to you, say back to them, I'm more excited than you are. Great. We got a bunch of excited people. We're with the Israelites as they're looking into their promised land. They're excited. And this is what God says in Numbers chapter 13. So he said to Moses, their leader, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land that I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses selected a leader from each of those tribes and said, guys, this is what we want you to do. Go out into this promised land, this land that God has promised to give us. Go scout it. Find out The people that live there, are they strong? Are they weak? Do they live in fortified cities? What's the land like? What's the produce like? Come back and give us a report about that. So these guys went out to see what they could find. Numbers 13, 25 tells us what they found. 
After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. So this fruit that they had taken was a cluster of grapes that was so large, it took two men to carry it between them on a pole. So God was not kidding when he said, this land is a land of abundance. And verse 27 says, this was their report to Moses. We entered the land that you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit that it produces. Now, I want you to look at the first word in this next verse. What's that word? But. That short three-letter word is a very powerful word. It has the ability to keep us on our detours. It has the ability to keep us from the promised land that God has promised us to experience. So in verse 28, some of the scouts said, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. Like there are people everywhere and we're not gonna be able to defeat them. I can just see the discouragement running through the camp. Like they're excited and their excitement gave way to discouragement. That's why Caleb, one of the scouts, tried to encourage the people in verse 30. He said, let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. Verse 31, but, there's that word again. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land that we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. So here's some of the lessons I think that we can learn from that little encounter. The first lesson is this. The promised land is real. It's a real place. It was real for the Israelites, and I believe it's real for us today. Now, I'm talking in addition to the promised land of heaven that God has promised for everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you've done that in the past, if you do that in the future before you die, you will experience the promised land of heaven. Anybody excited about that one day? Yes. Let's not go there today. Let's go there one day, right? Thanks for kind of laughing at that. Okay, so I think that the promised land beyond eternity, beyond the promise of heaven, is really possible for many of us, for all of us as Christ followers. Like, I think it's really possible for someone to live a life free of addiction, I think that's a promised land that somebody really could experience. I think there's a promised land of experiencing God's peace and joy in stressful situations. I think we can really experience things like that. 
I think people that experience the damage of broken relationships can experience those relationships restored and experience the promised land of living in wonderful unity in those relationships. I think there's all kinds of promised lands that God promises to give us as we determine to follow him and apply his truth into our lives. So it's a real place. Promised land is a real place. Your promised land is a real place. It's a real place filled with real things that you can experience. Second thing that we can learn from this is there will be obstacles that stand between us and our promised land. There are real obstacles. They're real financial obstacles. They're real mental obstacles, emotional obstacles, spiritual obstacles. There's all kinds of obstacles that stand between us and that promised land. And as we look at those obstacles, sometimes we'll think like those obstacles are so big. There's no way we could defeat them. They're huge. It's not going to be possible for us to defeat them. And we will be tempted to step backwards, to stay in our detour or to run back to our Egypt, the life that we beg God to free us from. And the thing that often determines whether we step into our promised land or not is who we listen to. The Israelites had two different groups that were telling them two different stories. So again, they had 12 scouts go out and 10 came back and said, we can't. Two came back and said, we can. They had the same experience. They saw the same things. They had very different reports that they were giving. And the Israelites were left in the spot where they had to decide, who are we going to listen to? The 10 who say we can't or the two who say we can. When we are facing our obstacles between us and the promised land that we can experience in our own lives, um, there are decisions that we have to make from the voices that we listen to. There's all kinds of voices out there that talk to us. Uh, there are voices that are negative that say that, you know what, your marriage is beyond hope. Like what he did to you, what she did to you, it can't be fixed. So you might as well just throw it away and start over. There are people that say, you know what, no relationship is beyond hope. Like, you really could fix this thing if you really tried it God's way. There are people that come and say to us, you know, like, I don't even know why you're really trying to live for God. I mean, you're not all that spiritual of a person. God doesn't really care about you. you know, remember all the stuff that you used to do in the past? Like, God really doesn't care about you because of all that stuff that you used to do. There are people that say, like, you really can't grow to be the, the Christ follower that you desire and the Christ follower that God wants you to be. So why are you even trying? There's all kinds of voices out there that tell us that we can't do things. And there are a few voices out there that tell us that we can. You know, sometimes the voices that tell us that we can't, that are the loudest, are our own voices that we kind of speak to ourselves in our minds. Those are some of the loudest voices in my life. When I tell myself, like, why are you like, working so hard to, to be this pastor? Like, you're just not good enough at that. You're not a good enough father. You're not a good enough husband. You're not a good enough leader. You, know, can you remember what, you know, when you screwed up last week and remember when you said that hurtful thing to your wife? Like, like, why are you trying? There are moments that I hear my voice tell me that kind of negative stuff. And we have to decide, who are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to the many who say we can't? Or are we going to listen to the few who say we can? Numbers 14 tells us who the Israelites listen to. Verse one says, then the whole community began weeping aloud. 
and they cried all night. Their voices rose in great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plundered. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. So understand what they're saying here. They're saying, God, we want to go back to slavery. We want to go back to the place that we begged you to free us from. And if we're not careful, we can say the same kind of things to God. When we face our obstacles and they look so big and we're listening to the wrong voices, we can be tempted to go back to our own Egypt, the place that we begged God to free us from. Numbers 14, verse 6, says two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua and Caleb, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land that we've traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if God is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It's a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. And I wonder if they said, remember when we did that last time? That didn't go so well. Don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. I mean, I just love those two guys. They had this amazing perspective. Their eyes were focused on God and what he could do. Their eyes weren't focused on them. And I think this morning, their message is still being shared to us. And I think a few of you just might need to hear this message. You might need to hear the message of Caleb and Joshua, the message that with God you can. Whatever you're facing, whatever that obstacle is, there is no financial obstacle that God can't help you navigate. There is no health issue beyond God healing or helping you walk through. There is no relationship issue that cannot be fixed. There is no addiction that cannot be beaten. Nothing can stand against you when God is on your side. I hope that brings some encouragement to a few people this morning. I hope that you're excited about that because the reality is some of you are facing some big obstacles right now. And every time you look at them, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you get more and more tempted to stay on your detour or go go back to your Egypt. So the big question for you today is who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the voices that say you can't? Are you going to listen to the voices that say God can? The Israelites listened to the negative voices that said that they couldn't. Uh, They weighed out the, the reports, and they said, you know what? The ten are probably right, so we can't do this. And their lack of faith in God led them on a longer detour. It wasn't 40 weeks. It wasn't 40 months, but 40 years. For 40 years, they wandered the desert. Can you imagine how fun of an experience that would have been? Again, our response to our detours often determines how long our detours are. When we get angry, when we get bitter, we rebel against God. We say, we can't, uh, God, you can't even help us through this. And we can stay on our detour a whole lot longer than we should. 
Now, we're going to hit the fast forward button in this story. Uh, We're going to fast forward 40 years, and we're going to get back to where the Israelites are on the edge of their detour again, looking into their promised land. It's another day of excitement. And if you want to read about their 40 years of wandering, you can read about that in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And uh, I just got to tell you, I'll summarize, there was a lot of wandering And their leader, Moses, died. God appointed a new leader, Joshua, to lead them. He was one of the good scouts. And so Joshua is ready to lead this new group of people into the promised land. And remember, they have obstacles that are still there. There's still people living in that land that look like giants. And they've got to choose. Like, who are we going to listen to as we go in and face this land? I want you to see how God led them to fight their first battle. Their first battle uh, was against a town called Jericho. And it was, it's just past the edge of the Jordan River as they were standing off of the land of Israel, modern-day Israel, the Moab Mountains, and looking into uh, Israel. They see, would see Jericho across the water there, just north of the Dead Sea. And then they would come fight that battle first, and then they would continue to make their way into um, Israel. Now, Jericho was a well-fortified city with high walls around it. So God pulled Joshua aside, said, Joshua, this is how I want you to fight this battle. So get your warriors together, tell them how we're going to do this and follow my strategy. Don't ignore it. Follow my strategy. Okay. So Joshua gets all of his warriors together today. So I want you to kind of pretend for a moment with me that you are one of Joshua's warriors. You've been training for 40 years for this moment, this time to step into your promised land, to step out of the desert and into the land that's flowing with milk and honey. So we're gathered together. And warriors, are you ready? Five of you are ready. The rest of you hopefully will get ready, okay? We're about to fight Jericho. We gotta get ready. So here's God's strategy. I'm gonna pretend to be Joshua for a moment. All right, here's God's strategy. This is what God wants us to do. God wants us to go and march around the city of Jericho six days in a row, one time in those six days, each day. And then the seventh day, we're gonna march around seven times And when we get around the seventh time, we're going to have seven of our priests blow their trumpets, and then we're going to shout as loud as we possibly can, and guess what's going to happen? The walls are going to fall down. All right, now, if you're one of Joshua's warriors in that moment listening to that strategy, tell me what you're thinking. What are you thinking? You're crazy. God's crazy. You're out of your mind. Does God really think we can win this battle with our praise team? Like, that doesn't sound like it's going to go real well. Like, swords versus trumpets? I don't think that's going to, you know, do real good. And no offense to our worship team, but if we're going into battle, I want them to have swords in their hands, not guitars or trumpets or drumsticks. But that was God's strategy. So listen, I want you to listen to me. I want you to focus on what I can do in the midst of this, not what you can do. This isn't about your ability to draw your sword and charge into battle. This is about my ability to defeat your obstacles for you. So they obeyed God. Joshua chapter 6, verse 20 says, On the seventh day, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could, and suddenly 
the walls of Jericho collapsed. And the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They defeated their first enemy in the promised land by praising God. And I still think that strategy works today. As we face obstacles that stand between us and the life that God has desired for us to live, I still think praising God can help us defeat those obstacles. And here's why I think that happens. I think praising God focuses our attention on God and what he can do. And it takes our attention off of us and what we cannot do. And I think this is such an important principle for us to remember as we are facing obstacles. I've seen this principle at work in my own life. I actually watched it in my wife's life on her medical journey. I told you about several weeks ago that she's been on this medical journey for 12 uh, years. It's been like a major detour in our life where we were going along great, four kids, you know, family was doing awesome. And all of a sudden overnight, her health just disappeared from her. Didn't know what she was dealing with for two and a half years. And uh, she walked with a cane for nine years in extreme pain on many moments. And there would be moments at night when Tammy would just be sitting in bed in pain and I couldn't even sit on the bed next to her because me moving the bed would create more pain and she would just be sitting there just crying in moments, screaming out uh, for help and just hurting so bad. And I'm in a spot where I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like We've gone to every doctor we know to go to. We've gone to every specialist we can find. We've been to the emergency room on multiple occasions and nobody seems to be able to help us. Like I don't know what to do. And there were a few moments where when Tammy was crying out and I'm just sitting there praying to God, please do something, I would hear her starting to sing. And she would start singing some old hymns that we learned as kids. And I'd be like, I haven't heard that song in a long time. And she'd just start singing verse by verse, praising God in the midst of her pain. And there were moments I would wonder, how is she doing that? How is that possible to be praising God in the midst of pain? But again, what Tammy knew was focusing her attention, praise focused her attention on God and what he can do. And it took her attention off of her and what she could not do. And I watched her grow in her relationship with God and deepen that relationship in some powerful ways and defeat some obstacles that stood inside of her, some obstacles kind of in her mind and her relationship with God about God's love and faithfulness to her. I watched her defeat some of those things through praise, just praising God. I think that strategy can still work today. I think it can work for you. I think it can work for me. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, we are human but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So I think prayer is one of God's mighty weapons. I think scripture reading and application are more of God's mighty weapons, and I think praise is another one of God's powerful weapons that we can use as we stand against obstacles that hold us back from the promised land that, that God has for us. So this morning, we're gonna end in a little bit of a unique way for us. Uh, we're gonna actually sing a song that's not unique to us, but we're gonna sing kind of a new song. And this new song that we've come across is called Surrounded, and it's written by Michael W. Smith. And it's 
the most simple song for us to, to learn. Like within the first minute, you'll know it. I think there's only two lines in it or something like that. And we're just going to sing those lines over and over again. And what this song reminds us of is when we are surrounded and feel like we're surrounded by the enemy or feel like we're surrounded by obstacles that we can't defeat, the truth is we are surrounded by God. We're loved and we're protected by him. And so some of us need to be reminded of that this morning. Another thing that this song uh, reminds us is that the line is, this is how I fight my battles. So when we're singing that, we're saying like, I don't fight my battles the way that people normally do. I'm not going to draw a sword. I'm not going to try to jump into this relational conflict stuff and try to solve it my way, or I'm not going to try to fix whatever this thing is my way. I'm going to turn to God. I'm going to spend some time praying. I'm going to spend some time praising. This is how I fight my battles. I'm going to praise God and focus my attention on him and what he can do, not on me and what I can't do. So this morning, I'm curious. Is there anybody here facing an obstacle that seems really big? If so, would you raise your hand? Hands up all over. If your hand's not up, um, pray for somebody whose hand is up and praise God with them and for them. If you're facing an obstacle, as we sing, what I encourage you to do is just use this song to praise God. Focus your attention on him and what he can do. And maybe you just say, God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the life that you've given me. Thank you for this detour. Sounds like the craziest thing ever. Why would I thank God for the detour? But through this detour, you're teaching me some valuable lessons. So God, help me to learn the lessons you want me to learn. Just praise him for who he is and watch what he can do in your life as you praise him. If you need somebody to pray with you this morning, uh, on your way out, we have a care center. We have a little station over here that says groups and care. If you want somebody to pray with you, stop there. Brian will be there, and there'll be some other folks there as well. Uh, we would love to pray with you and praise God for you this morning. Uh, so if you would, stand with me. We're going to practice our praise through song after I pray. So let's pray together. Lord, it's exciting to read the story of the Israelites and see after this 40-year journey on this desert where, Lord, they hadn't been learning some real valuable lessons. They'd been ignoring you and the things that you wanted to teach them, and yet then they got to a spot where they were ready to listen and obey you and, and actually implement your strategy in their warfare. Lord, as they faced those obstacles, praising was one of the big things that you wanted to show them was that that's how we fight these battles is we praise God for who he is. We remind ourselves that you are more powerful than anything that could ever stand against us. Lord, this, this morning, there's some folks here that are facing some obstacles. And I'm sure those obstacles seem big, seem like giants, seem like they can't defeat them. They're probably tempted to stay in their detour they might even be tempted to run back to their Egypt, a place that they begged you to free them from. So Lord, I pray that they would hear the words of Caleb and Joshua this morning. We can do this because of who God is and that he is for us. Lord, I, I just pray for those folks this morning. They'd focus their attention on you through praise. And in doing that, they would take their attention off themselves and what they feel like they can't do.
And then they would watch what you do as we praise you. So this morning, Lord, receive our praises. In Jesus' name, amen.